0: Podcast where we discuss the competitive side of the game. I'm Charles and with me today are Richard, Ian, and Alexander. Today we have another special episode. This one is going to be our favorite unnamed heroes. Before we get into our main topic today, I have a special announcement to make. So Into the West podcast has just surpassed ten thousand total plays. And to celebrate this milestone, we'll be posting a Q&A post on our Facebook page. So if you go on Facebook now at Into the West Podcast, uh, you'll see a post there. And we'll be taking any questions that you have for us, including army lists, if you want to submit an army list for us to review. And for episode 30, we will be answering as many questions as we can. So, yeah, feel free to leave any questions for us and look forward to seeing your Question answered on episode 30. Okay, back to the episode. So throughout this podcast, we've mostly focused on named heroes and how effective they are in this game. Today, we are going to give the spotlight to unnamed heroes. So heroes that you can have more than one of in a list. So similar to our episode, Favorite Heroes Under 100 Points... Each of us have selected an unnamed hero and also written a list to go along with it. And we'll be debating which one of them out of the four are the best. You can find all of our list as well as additional content on our Facebook page. Just type in Into the West podcast and there you will find all of the links to all the episodes as well as more pictures and hobby posts and stuff like that. Also, let us know if you like this format of an episode, where we each bring a profile and, and a list and compare them, or if you prefer our standard episode, where we pick one profile and write four different lists for it. To start, let's have Ian go with his pick.
1: Okay, so for my pick, I had a lot of options running through my mind initially. First one that came to mind was like an r and captain, just because they're nice, cheap, and reliable, and I was like, nah, but he's not amazing just a nice standard captain then i was like okay maybe a rivendell knight captain and then i was like no no no, that's too easy that's too easy he's he's, everybody knows he's good don't need to go on about him he's great we all know that then i was like oh numenor captain because same kind of thing he's really good but he can have listen to magic too and i was like no 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 no. i'm gonna stick with my trend here of going for something unique (laughs) and kind of out of my wheelhouse so what i ended up choosing was the Mordor troll chieftain and specifically, the Mordor Troll Chieftain from the, uh, the Black Gate Opens, Legendary Legion. But we'll, we'll get into the, the Legendary Legion bonuses anyway uh, uh, later on. Just a quick rundown of the profile. He's basically like your standard Mordor Troll, except he's got the Defense 8. And I believe, or no, the Courage is the same. you are both Courage 4. But importantly, he has Heroic stats. So he has 2 Might, 1 Will, 1 Fate. And he has Heroic Strike and Heroic Strength. Heroic strike on a fight seven monster is beautiful. Love to see it. Basically, he's just, you know, standard, reliable, big, beefy hero. And coming to think about it, I probably should have chosen him instead of the Gundabad troll for our monsters episode, but <laughs> never mind that. Never mind that. Um, yeah, and I don't know. I, I find it's is a very reliable threat that you can put into any kind of a list. And It doesn't really matter what list they're in. The opponent is always going to have to dedicate resources to taking care of it, whether that's like a big hero try and fight it and try and take it down, and he can give most big heroes a run for their money anyway, or just magic try and shut him down. In which case, yeah, that kind of sucks, but he's not horrendously expensive. He's about the same price as like your cheaper casters, so it's not the worst thing. And then he can still do damage if he gets a turn in combat, right, with the hero combats brutal power attacks like uh, Hurl or Barge. But, the thing that is exciting about this profile is that when he's in the Legion, his heroic stats go up to 3 Might, 2 Will, and 2 Fate, so he's even harder to take down And extra Might on a monster. Love to see it. And additionally, he becomes fearless, which is fantastic. Especially on a relatively low Courage model that Ends up being your leader in this list as well, but also means they're just not—he's not, not going to stall out against like terror walls, which could be a big issue uh, in normal matchups or like army of the dead or like something with Kierdan in it. He also um,
0: gains um, three warband slots, right? Yeah, he does become yeah. a
1: hero of valor in the list too, which it's—it it is actually handy. I'll kind of get into that in a couple minutes when I present my list. Any initial thoughts from you guys?
2: I think. You've brought up most of the big points there. Something we talked about in the monsters episode was just that monsters that have might points and will points are quite a bit better than your generic monster. Just the ability to resist magic and to command their own space on the battlefield rather than relying on other heroes to do it is a big deal. I do like the Mordor Troll Chieftain. You look up Big beat stick. In the SBG dictionary, it's probably a solid picture of him in there somewhere. But one thing that I find is, especially with the generic troll chieftain, one issue I have with him is just the big base size. It it makes it difficult to maneuver and get out of tight situations.
3: Alex, I like how you said that you prefer monsters that are heroes, and they're much better now, considering in that episode... I believe all your choices were non-hero monsters. <laughs> I guess you <laughs> learned your lesson. <laughs> Qu-
2: quiet you, I'm trying to forget that. We, we were berated enough for our
1: choices, okay?
0: He had two, right? He, had, he picked Cave Troll and Great Eagle.
2: Which <laughs> is... uh good
0: picks. They're still not bad. The, I'm good, glad he changed his opinion, though. They're,
2: they're, <laughs> they're solid value picks, but I don't know why. Going into that episode, I just was not thinking about named heroes that much. And I really don't get why. Don't ask me. I don't know.
3: This is an educational podcast and not just for the viewers.
2: No. <laughs> I, for the viewers, yes. I learn, too, a lot.
1: We, we learn, too, too. Knowledge is power.
2: Knowing is half the battle? I don't know.
1: Yeah, yeah that's for sure. Um, <laughs> but I, I think I agree. Yeah, the Yeah, the base size is probably the biggest weakness of this guy. Because, I mean, the lower movement compared to, like, a Felbeast or, like, Gulivar is a detriment. But because of, like, Barge and, like, Heroic Combats, he can get more mobile. He just needs to get into combat, which can be the difficult part. So, yeah, I think the the base size is the bigger thing rather than um, being able to move.
0: So, I'll say that without the Legion bonuses, I don't think he's worth 140. You just compare him to, to Guahir, I know Guahir is a named hero, and that's not the topic of this episode, but just... Similar points range, and he just gets outmatched in almost every way. But in the Legion, the Fearless is a big one, because Courage 4, that's that's one of his main weaknesses, is he's going to have difficulty charging certain terrifying targets and staying around at the end of the game. Since he's a hero, he can't use other heroes standfast most of the time. I don't think anything in Mordor would give him Fearless in a normal Mordor list or Barador list. But anyway, so... Yeah, so being able to charge anything helps him out a lot. Also, the two will and two fate, because you're investing so many points in a model, having that extra will to resist and extra fate to save an extra wound helps a ton. Yeah, and he can take on most heroes his points in combat with that fight seven and Heroic Strike. Uh, so I think he's worth 140 points in the Legion, but maybe not outside the Legion.
1: Yeah, I think that's that, that is pretty fair. Yeah, because in the Legion, then, like, he has two will, but that, that's only for resisting spells at that point, because he has the Fearless, which is, yeah, that, that's way better than just having the one that might be needed for a Courage Test or for magic. So, yeah, that's a, that's a good shout. It
0: and can then, also be used to dodge smoke bombs.
1: True. <laughs> true. That's a big thing. That is big. And then, yeah, the extra fate just means he can reliably take four wounds for him to die at that point. At defense eight, and that's that. That's hard to, to get through. Anybody who's tried to wound a ringwraith before would know that. <laughs> I don't know. if I will say there is a way that he can be run kind of effectively at lower points. And I think Richard was there for this tournament. It was a doubles, and I think the total was 600 points. So each person got 300 points, and one team took, each of them took a Mordor Troll Chieftain and a Mordor Catapult. <laughs> And all they did was the park would make like in the corner of the board, they put down both the catapults and hide the orcs behind it so you couldn't get to them. And then you had the two trolls standing in front of the catapults, and then they just send the two chieftains forward to go kill stuff while the catapults rain death. It was horrible. It's a horrible, horrible list to fight at six hundred points.
3: Yeah, I think I was there, but thank God I didn't have to play that list, so.
1: Oh it's I Is <laughs> is <it's> the worst. <laughs>
0: Sounds
1: nasty. Me and my partner had Isildur and Glorfindel going up against that. And we were both just like, yeah, I don't think we're going to get this. And yeah, we lost the game. Like, it was just, it's it's so hard to fight. Like, four trolls. Oh, God. It's it's terrible, terrible,
2: terrible. And two catapults. And two catapults. (laughs) Four trolls. And two catapults. Yeah, yeah, I remember yeah. that tournament. I didn't play against <laughs> that, but I remember seeing that. It's
1: brutal, man. It's
2: brutal. It's <laughs> in my memory. It's the Mordor jailgate party. Uh, <laughs> list. You got the two trucks right at the back. You know, just having a blast and hurling things. Yeah. The, opponent. <laughs> the
1: other special rule for um, the the Blackgate uh, opens Legendary Legion, so I already went over the first one where the troll gets the extra might, will, and fate and fearless. The other one is that Mordor orc models gain a bonus of plus one to wound in the duel, which they outnumber their uh, opponent in the fight. So it's like the same kind of thing as like the Ogluk Legion, I think, and then the um, the Cirith Ungol Legion is the same kind of thing. If you outnumber, you get the plus one to wound. But it's not... Uh,
3: I, like... I think this one is better, though,
2: because
3: mm-hmm. um, it doesn't require an orc and Urukai pairing.
2: Yeah, yeah. it's just So if you it's outnumber. much easier to get. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you don't have to micromanage every combat in order to get the bonus to work. So
1: yeah, sorry. If you outnumber with more, specifically Mordor
3: orc models. So I
1: mean, every
3: pretty much every warrior in this legion is Mordor orcs.
1: Yeah, so basically all the troops are except for regular Mordor trolls. And then you have access to random orc captains and orc captains, so they would get it as well. But the Mordor troll chieftain and the Mouth of Sauron, who's also in this, don't get it because they don't have the right keywords. So. It kind more. of
0: reminds me a little bit of, like, backstabbers. Like, it's slightly easier to do, because backstabbers you have to trap, which usually means that you'll outnumber. But here, yeah. it's like, you don't have to trap them, you just have to outnumber. But then the downside is that I don't think the spearmen get the plus one to wound, like, if you're supporting.
1: It says supporting models do not count for the purpose. Yeah, of yeah but then it's easier to pull off than backstabbers, yeah. I think, so. yeah. I mean, but, like, yeah, that's the thing with this Legion is, like, the damage output, even on just, like, your regular troops, because of that special rule, is crazy. And then you add in the fact you have this, like, souped-up Mordor troll. I think the biggest issue with this list is probably not going to be killing things. It's going to be making sure you get to objectives before you kill everything, in a way. Especially if you have the uh, Moran and Orcs, too, right? Because they can piercing strike up to um, strength 5, plus 1 to wound. That's gross. Anyway, the list is fairly simple in this instance so my first warband is the mordor troll chieftain he has 10 morannon orcs with shield four morannon orcs with spear and shield and one morannon orc with spear shield and banner the second warband is the mouth of sauron with an armored horse and he has 10 morannon orcs with shield and five morannon orcs with spear and shield so that comes to 500 points 32 models which is 17 dead to break and five might and crucially for this i'm actually quite happy with this build despite the fact it has no bows (laughs) um because i get the strike in from the chieftain and he's souped up super powerful and then you also have the mouth of sauron in there he doesn't have strike but he's still fairly reliable at five five on the armored horse and uh he also brings in those uh cheeky cheeky immobilizes and heroic march if i didn't say that before so this army can move around a little bit if it needs to
3: you do have one shot in the troll throw stone, the mortar uh, troll
1: chief. That's true. Range
3: twelve, strength and it, eight. And it doesn't count towards your bow limit.
1: That's it doesn't.
3: So you so. could you can stand there all day and just you know throw rocks yeah. and not move. <laughs> that's yeah. I mean,
1: I got three might, you know. So hitting on fives for one turn, I'm hitting on twos. That's crazy.
2: I have to say, I've actually done that before with the troll where it kind of gets stuck, and I'm like, you know what, I'll just stand still and throw some rocks. And I've really scared Charles a couple times. He's had LSR just, like, right there, and I'm like, you know what? Throw a stone at Elessar's combat, trying to knock him off his horse, and it's, it's almost worked. It was a lot of fun. I,
1: it's worth the shot. The thing is, is, like, I feel like most of the times when you would actually throw a stone with a troll is, like, if you fail a courage test to charge something, because you can still shoot if you fail a courage test, right? But this guy's fearless, so he's, he's going in. So, yeah, I'm probably never going to use that in, in this Legion, but it can be useful in other circumstances. But, yeah, I, I'm actually like I said, I'm quite happy with this build. Even though there's only 10 Spears in there, everybody has the Shield, so we got the massive Wall of Defense 6, and then the front line is going to be, like, 20 models wide with all the Marino Orcs with shields. So that basically guarantees I'm going to be getting those 2-on-1s, right? And get, making use of that plus-1 to wound bonus. And, yeah model count 32 is great i think uh for 500 points considering everybody's like d6 plus if i break i'm kind of in trouble depends on if i have priority or not
2: (laughs) yeah if you break and you don't have priority that's the one thing i would worry about is i would say you have to plug a shaman in there somewhere purely to stop your works from running wild the second you break aside from that I like the general build of this list, too. Obviously, you have the Chieftain, because mm-hmm. you have to. And you have the Mouth of Sauron, who is a very versatile pick. We, You know, decent small spellcaster, has march, can fight when he has to. Moran Orcs, last edition, were like the bread and butter of every army list I ever took. And I'm pretty sure the build I put together for them was based on what you told me, which was always just put shields on everything, and that's what I'm seeing on this list here. So, in terms of numbers, it's decent. Got the Defense 6, so it's pretty solid. My only little criticism, really, is that I would have dropped some of the Moranans for regular Orc Warriors just to fill out the Warbands completely.
1: Uh, they are filled out.
2: Wait a minute. Okay, never mind. You know what? <laughs> right. They are filled out. That's 15 each. Okay.
1: So, I'm actually kind of happy you brought that up, though, because when I was building this I initially wrote it with the Chieftain and the Mouth of Sauron and just 30 normal orcs with the same kind of warrior loadout. And I kind of ended up with like an awkward amount of points where I could fit in like another orc captain on like a warg, but that would be it. Mm. Maybe like one more orc too. I don't remember exactly. Or maybe I had to drop an orc to get him in. So I was like, mm. like, that's okay. I like that. But then like 30 D5 orcs, that's... Like I'm relying on the chieftain a lot to do stuff, right? Especially if I run into like a terror causing armor, so I want something that can hold up against him, right? Hold up, hold the line. And I felt like swapping all the normalors from randomers was the better call in this situation. I am mm-hmm. pretty happy with this list, but I could definitely see the argument for just dropping them down to normal guys and taking a captain.
2: <laughs> I guess if it was an 800 point list, I'd be more critical of it, obviously, because you would have that ability to really bring the numbers up by splitting at least to 50-50. But you've maxed out the Warband, you're right. So in that case, I don't really see too much along the lines of needing to swap them for regular orcs. But I'll let the other guys chime in in case I'm missing something here.
3: Yeah, I really like this. I've played this Legion a couple times. I'm glad you picked 500 points because this isn't a Legion that I feel like scales very well because Malthasarion is the only named hero and of course you have a super troll chieftain which is on par with most named heroes but after that you start getting into the captains and shamans so by the time 800 points hits i feel like you're not really competing very well against other lists with just like three or four you know named heroes
0: not even shamans
3: they don't have fearless yeah
0: it doesn't have shamans
1: they don't have fury
3: yeah Uh, well i mean it shows it doesn't scale
1: well at all. But. And, and it, it doesn't have wargriders or anything either, right? So I think you, you could maybe take it to, like, 700 and put in another troll with a drum and a captain and a few more orcs, but I wouldn't take it past that. I think it's better at the 500 point.
3: Yeah, 500 or below. I, I think maybe push it to 600 maximum, but yeah. And, and I like your hero choices, because Malthus Aaron is a very, very flexible hero with the heroic march. Yeah, I like this. I can't really find many faults with this. I would actually give this a Hero of Legend.
2: I think we've started the Hero of Legend parade again, (laughs) because that's that's where this is going for me, too. Like, given the list limitations on what you can pick, this is probably about as good as this list gets. So, yeah, I'm also going to give this a Legend. I think
0: this Legion was designed for low points, like, it doesn't have much uh, flexibility, and you've kind of taken the two best profiles in your 500-point list, Mouth of Sarn and Troll Chieftain. And I think not having shooting is, is okay, and not having cavalry is okay at this point, since your numbers are pretty good. So, yeah, I'll give the same rating as the other two guys. Pure Legend, I think this is a really good points level, and I would bring this to a 500-point tournament. <laughs> like, what can really deal with the Troll Chieftain with with the mouth of Sauron at this points level it's it's going it's going to be difficult for a lot of lists
1: yeah i don't yeah. know what would be better to fight the, like a 500 you usually see like the same kind of build where it's like a big hero and some troops or like a yeah. horde of troops and like lesser heroes and i i don't know if either one would do very well
3: i mean i've never taken this to a tournament but i have played a couple practice games with low points values and let me just say i played against uh, Iron Hill's list with Dane and just like the pre-nerf Ballista and just the rest Iron Hill Warriors and I smashed them like it was crazy so you can't underestimate them at all because with the Moran and Orcs, they're wounding d8 on sixes naturally and then with the plus one to wound which you are going to outnumber a lot of these elite armies yeah you're wounding them on fives which is ridiculous so it's really strong.
1: You can get oh, it we, down to fours, too, if they weren't uh, in shield wall uh, and you piercing struck. <laughs> That's gross. <laughs>
3: yeah, you, you don't even need the troll chieftain. He's just he's just a bonus. Yeah.
1: Well, I was going to mention that, actually, earlier when we were talking about the Standfast Bubbles. I think if you need to with the Mouth of Sauron, you could just leave him behind your line. Get Scourge five, combat. four Scourge will, five right? and he's five, yeah, and he's got the will, like... If he just calls a couple, like, march and maybe a move in the game, and he just chills there and gives his stand fast for your army at the end of the game, that's, that's huge.
2: I think we're starting to see a trend where we've noticed that all of the Legendary Legions that we've talked about at some point or another always seem to do really well at, like, 600 and below. And I'm starting to think when we one day get to have tournaments again, a whole bunch of people are just going to bring Legendary Legions at low points, and we're going to find out which one is truly the best. Although I'm still really afraid of Rangers of Athelion.
0: Okay, I don't know if this could beat Rangers of Athelion at 500. Depends on the scenario. I think if you start at the halfway, like in the middle of the board, and mm-hmm. they only have maximum three turns of shooting, I think once you get there, like what are they going to do? Charge Faramir into the motor Troll Chieftain and strike up? The Rangers will be soft, and you'll be wounding them on threes and with the with your Moran and bonus that's true your numbers will be pretty similar though i think so yeah it's 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 hard to say it depends on the scenario
1: well the numbers would be the same roughly the same i think by the time i got into combat let's say i'm down eight models yeah i don't know i still you, you think probably about,
0: yeah you probably could still beat done
1: i still think it'd be okay though because just because even though they have the higher fight if i can get them into one-on-one combats yeah. i'm winning them on fours versus sixes yeah, yeah.
3: Yeah, and then if you get two in on one, who them on threes. And then also the Malthus Arn's going to do work on rangers.
1: Yeah, that's true. That's true, yeah, because he's going to fight like, everybody except for Faramir in that list.
0: Yeah. Okay. So that was the Motor Troll Chieftain. And then the second profile is going to be my pick, which is the Mahud King. So this profile we've also talked about a few times on, on this podcast, and it's... One of the reasons that I like playing Farharad so much, this profile is a beast and the main reason why I like taking him so much, which is just for how much you get in a small package. So as everyone knows, Mahud King can ride a war camel and he can take war spear, shield and blowpipe. And if you kit everything out onto the hero, he's clocking in at 95 points. And what you get is a Fight 5, Strength 5, and 3 Attack Mounted Hero. I brought a list with two Mahood Kings to Adepticon about two years ago, and they were the MVPs of my list. If they can win a fight, they deal as much damage as a Mounted Dane, as a Dane on Pig would if a Dane on Pig won a fight. So a Strength 5 with 4 dice that are doubled at plus 1 to wound and being able to fit them in small lists and being able to ally in a war band since they are now a Hero of Valor. So you can take a Mahud King and ally them into all sorts of different evil lists. And they can bring in half trolls. They can bring in more camels as well. And it wouldn't cost that many points just because the standard Mahud King is well under 100 points. The other thing that's so great about this profile is the impact hit mechanic. They're the only mounted hero that has this mechanic. If you don't count, like, War Beasts and Chariots, which are much larger bases, the Hood King on a 40 millimeter base can deal a f- Strength 4 hit on any model it charges, which I think is fantastic because it gives you a chance to wound and potentially dismount an enemy hero before combat. So you don't have to re- wait and gamble to see who strikes up to the higher fight value, who wins a combat, stuff like that.
1: What question in that regard... Yeah. If you charge into a mounted hero and then kill their horse, does that mean you charged an infantry model and you get your charge bonus? Because you're still hitting a cavalry model,
0: right? I don't think so. Wait. It happens in move phase when you charge they were a cavalry model. But because it happens in move phase, they would have to make the Throne Rider test. And if they don't roll a six, they won't be able to strike um, at you if they win the fight. That's true. Um, that's true. Yeah, yeah. that's absolutely So you can pull really risky maneuvers because you have this mechanic on this profile. You can charge a hero that's much more expensive than the Mahood King. And if you can roll that four plus on a regular horse or five plus on an armored horse, there's a, almost a guarantee that they won't be able to kill you that turn. So it's a really good, really good tactic.
1: Second question Is that a mightable roll? Because it's still
0: a to-wound roll, right? It is, but I think the consensus, it is not mightable, and is similar to like a Chariot. But I think it might come down to the TO of each tournament, but I would say that most people would probably say that it's not mightable.
3: I guess I just wanted to add on to the impact hits. I think it works really similarly to like a throwing weapon. And I think you brought up a great case using it against uh, mounted models, especially mounted heroes. But one extra benefit is sometimes if the opposing player has used their infantry models to position in a way to block off certain lanes, with the 10-inch move, if you are able to kill with the impact hit some of the models in the way obstructing the direction that you want to go, you keep on going, and that sometimes really disrupts the opposing player's plans, because they could be bubble wrapping one of their heroes, they could be trying to use their control zones to block off an objective, but a lot of the times it's really hard to plan when you have just a bunch of impact hits like running in. And it's actually even harder to stop when you have more camels, so either more Mahud Raiders or more Mahud Kings, because throwing weapons, once you're in the combat, I guess if you're evil, you can still throw into combat, but you might risk hitting your own guy. But with the impact hits, that's not the case, and you could still continuously, as long as you can get the charge in, hit the same model if you really need to get it out of the way.
0: That's a good point. It's not just about scoring extra kills, right? It's about like positioning and making it really hard for enemies to block a certain path.
1: Well, the other thing on that is like. Even if your opponent manages to tag the king with, like, one model in a turn, you can still, if you have some camels free, if you get the hit on them and then kill the model that tagged the king, the king hasn't moved yet this turn. The king can then go and move and get their charge bonuses anyway, so they are quite hard to lock down. I will say their biggest weakness, though, is their defense, right? They're only d6 with a shield, two wounds, one fate. So you got to play smart with them, but like, again, with the impact ticks, like you're saying, that is like really, really, it's almost offensive if you're charging into like another mounted hero, if you get the kill, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. And they are a bit of a hand grenade, but I don't think that's a big issue considering what you're paying for them. You know, similar to like a Boromir of Gondor, you throw him in and it's okay if he dies as long as he does enough damage before he goes down. You know, it's kind of the same kind of idea. And on a good day... it. If you get like a good charge off with good impact hits, you can take down like at one tournament, I charged one king and three camels to um, Azog and they took out the white org. (laughs) Like they all three of them rolled a five plus. So like in that kind of situation, you pretty much just neutralized your opponent's biggest model for the rest of the game. So there's a lot of potential you can do with the
2: impact hits for sure. Do we have to tell the story about how you pin cushioned an entire supporting line of my orcs in, like, two turns with these impact hits? Because it's just terrifying when you get the charge and the knockdown and these three attacks. It can do a lot of damage. But honestly, I I think it's the impact hit that really puts him over the top.
0: Yeah, for sure. And the one last thing I'll say about the king is it's a key part of the army's army bonus. So the army bonus warrior pride, just to uh, summarize, is if there's a Mahudi hero within six inches of your army that ends in combat, then your army doesn't—the warrior doesn't have to test courage. They're basically fearless. So this kind of counters the strategy of people charging your hero before you can stand fast. It doesn't work against Farharad, because if they do that and it's your turn to test— they pass anyway. So it's kind of like they can get the stand fast whether you pin their heroes or not. It also works really well against charging terrifying enemies because Farhad, it's basically a Courage 2 army. And the king has decent courage, Courage 5 of 2 will. So once the king charges in, the rest of the army basically follows him and they're all fearless when they charge in that turn. So the Courage 2 is still a huge weakness against um, terror armies, but there's a way you can mitigate it at least when you're able to get that charge off at the king. And then if they're all within six inches, which not the easiest thing to do, but if you can position them correctly, then you get a fearless battle line. Um, so the list I brought today is um, it's to showcase how you can fit two of them into a really small list and how effective they can be. Uh, it's a 600-point list, and the leader I have is from the Serpent Horde, Suladan on Armored Horse and he's leading six serpent guard and seven warriors of harad with bow and then from far harad i have a mahud king on camel with shield and war spear in his war band are two half trolls two mahud raiders with war spear and blowpipe and two mahud warriors with spear and blowpipe and a second mahud king with the same kit and the same war band so two half trolls two mahud raiders with war spear and blowpipe and two mahud warriors with spear and blowpipe So that comes to 28 models and 7 might. And at 600 points, you have 3 heroes with 3 attacks. And all 3 of them can Heroic Strike. The idea of the army is to obviously use the Mahood Kings to wipe out the enemy and to kind of deal with the biggest threats that your opponent has. Model count isn't the greatest, but there are 4 half-trolls that have 2 wounds each. So you do have a little bit of grinding ability. And the two Mahud Kings with their impact hits, along with four other camels in the list, it gives you a lot of flexibility in different kind of situations, whether it's grabbing objectives. You have multiple threats that can impact and run through models that are blocking because of impact hits. And then Suladan is supporting with you know some bows and then obviously give the Mahud Kings a banner reroll, which increases their consistency in combat.
2: The room is currently sitting in shock, uh, staring at the amount of hitting power this list has. Um, I mean, yeah,
1: bruh, <laughs> this is,
0: uh, well, you see, yep. It's a leaner version of the 800 points. So this list was initially 800 point list that I brought to Dept-Con, right? It had the same three heroes. But I guess my point is that you could do the same three heroes at 600 points because of how cheap they are. I
1: thought you had... Oh, so, so at 800, you just had more warriors? Yeah. Oh,
0: well, um, yeah, you had a lot it, more camels. It was like 36 models, but same heroes.
1: You only had eight more models?
0: Well, you have enough- four of them were half-trolls. I had four more half-trolls and four more camels, Uh-oh. I think. Yeah, Yeah, that's, that's getting up there. That, that's a lot of points. Yeah.
1: I mean, like, like the biggest weakness of the list is that it's 28 models and 600. Like, that, that's lower than what you would want, but it's not that big of an issue because, like you said, you have the four half-trolls, so they can take a hit, right? And then you have a, the four mounted uh, raiders, too, so they kind of have, like, a pseudo-fate pointy kind of thing because they're mounted, right? At least to archery, I guess. It's just... I, I, yeah, I don't think the, the model count would be too much of an issue once you get into combat. Because first turn, you just can do a combat with everybody, right? You'll get at least eight kills just with your heroes in the first turn of combat, if you do that. And then your troops are going to kill a bunch more. So then the model numbers are going to balance out really quickly. The biggest weakness, I guess, is to like an enemy army with a ton of archers or a Legolas. A Legolas would have a field day with this. He'd go, ah! Your horse is gone. Your horse is gone. Your horse is gone. Okay, boys, it's safe. Get him. <laughs> but like, even then you can close so quickly because Suleiman does have the march, right? So you're not missing march. You have bows. Your numbers are good enough. You have a banner. You you got. Ugh, ugh. It's scary. It's very scary.
2: He has a six-inch banner, not just banner.
1: That's true. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's a big boy banner. And and yeah, even then if you come up against an enemy army that has you know nine. Eight nine strength two bows hitting on fours. You can get into a shooting more if you want, because you got the seven guys of Harad with the uh, reroll on one with like the poison. Then you've got what eight blowpipes, right? So you can you, you can do a bit of shooting and skirmishing and stuff. So actually really 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 like it. I, I think I'm at a legend. We're <laughs> we just gonna rain the legend parade again.
2: <laughs> we need a sound effect for the legend parade
1: it's just it's so hard to find a weakness with this like it you is. could say courage right but i forgot the uh the Mahood army bonus applies all the time and to all tests i thought it was just when they were like broken but no it's all the time so yeah those kings are definitely gonna be able to get into like terrifying troops Or even if, if one of them you have two of them you only need one of them to get in there and then most of your uh, Mahood stuff can get in in that six inch bubble right to, to charge terrifying stuff so it's oof yeah i'm going with the legend
2: Yeah, I'm just looking at the capability of this list when you get close to combat, not just to be able to fend off standard bow fire with the seven Haradrim warriors, but the ability of this list, first of all, with the half-trolls to take a hit, because I've played against your list when you have like six to eight of them, and they're just impossible to get rid of because they're so tanky the ability to both get the impact hits with six models and then all the blowpipes. no it's a terrifying list i've had to play similar lists of yours and it's not it's not fun to play against i would be a little bit concerned maybe about the overall defense of the lists but then of course you've got the movement and the march to make up for it so i don't see it becoming a massive issue so long as you can continually get i think priority in movement to get the charge with the raiders and the kings it's a terrifying list and i'm just also gonna give it a legend because this was your adepticon list like light version which is literally the same heroes and only a few fewer models which is oh it's mean
1: I think it's actually scarier at this level than it is at 800.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's harder to deal with it at this level. Yeah, <laughs> it's the, same, that was the list, idea. same list. Fewer models, same heroes. It's like impossible to deal with this list because you know how we say always have three threats, always go with the triple threat. This has more than three threats because the three heroes alone are a threat each. It's upsetting. Why would you bring this to us, Charles? It's just it's mean. I love it.
3: Alright, just to, I guess, give a bit of a counter-opinion, to go against the hype a little bit here. I do really like the hero combos. Like, Mahud King is one of the best unnamed heroes, and that's why you've chosen it for this episode. And then Suladan, okay, like, no comment. But what I'm wondering is, would it be better if it was just one Mahud King and Suladan? And that way you can max out both warbands and get up to 35 models and you can keep pretty much the same quality of troops and maybe even add more half trolls. Like you wouldn't be going down in true quality like that would be very, very scary in my opinion. If you go up to like six half trolls and you still have like four or five Mahood Raiders and then you have 35 models at 600 points. Because that would take you above the, I would say, the average benchmark of 30 models. Because right now you're a bit below. And what I'm worried about is, yeah, like Ian said, like a heavy bow army or something that would be able to stall your kings a little bit because they're killing machines. But if they have like a bunch of heroic defenses, you know, to throw in there and just clog up your kings a little bit and then... Kill the Serpent Horde Warriors or the Mahud Warriors on foot, or even the Camels, they go down quite easily once combat hits. I would be a bit worried about breaking. And not that you'll run away right away, but I would still say that's a weakness. Because I would say your Mahud Kings only cover a certain amount of ground, so any objective scenario that you're running to, like those guys are running for sure. So you might not lose the kill or but you will lose the objective scenarios once you break. So that would be my worry. That's a good point. The only issue about one king is, um, what do you think my might level
0: at five might at 600 points?
3: I think if you have six half trolls in the front line, that's the thing with terror is I find, who cares if you get priority once combat hits, you know, it's not a big deal, especially if they're so beefy that it's like, who cares? Charge me. They have terror and their two wounds defense six. So, in my opinion, it kind of works like, you know, other armies that are similar is like Angmar or Army of the Dead or even just standard Black Numenorians. Having as much might is not that much of an issue. I mean,
1: uh, but if you fill out the warbands, you're going to end up with probably a lot more Mahud and Harad, right? He's got 15 Harads. So he's going to get three more, so 18 Harad. He's going to be a lot more lower defense things, right? Rather than the, the half-trolls, I think.
3: I think...
0: If you try to get the models count all the way up. Unless you just swap the king
3: for, like, four half-trolls.
0: Because they're about equal Yeah, you, I value. mean, right now... Yeah.
3: Right now, he only has 12 Farharad warrior models. So, going under one king, that would be 12. So, you technically still have three additional slots.
1: Yeah. Three slots in each warband. I
3: mean, so. I don't think this list is bad at all i think it's really scary i think it just goes from a different play style this one when it comes to play style is probably more of a you know tempo like you want to smash in with your Mahud kings and hero combat and just you know kill stuff as quick as possible whereas i guess the list i'm suggesting is far grindier list because you're not going to break very easily and i mean six half trolls on two attack like To me, that's pretty scary. Like, I don't think anyone's going to outgrind that because that's, like, a whole line of just, like, captain-level troops.
1: The thing is, if you're relying on the half-trolls, you have to be very cagey before you engage with the line because if you leave yourself open to a charge from, like, a fight six hero, there's a good chance they can get in there and kill two or three of them with a whole combat in the first turn, right? So I, you gotta be really careful with that.
3: It is true, but you still have to remember if we're talking about a big mounted hero fight six. We just talked about the camels and we have four camels in the king, right? So I don't feel like that's something that you have to be too scared of because but, you have ways to dismount them.
1: That's why I mean just like in that first engage before you get a chance to like counter charge, right? So you gotta you gotta be careful how you pick your engagement with that. Like, if you just leave your line open on the first turn, right, you move first, you leave your line open, you got to be careful.
0: Half-trolls are extremely tanky, but there are certain things that they melt really quickly to, to the point that they're not worth their points. So one thing is Blades of the Dead, anything that hits Courage, and then the second thing is, um, like you guys said, mounted heroes. Even, like, a like a Thranduil on foot can take out, like, four of them in a turn if, if he gets a hero combat rate. Right? So, like, certain situations, but most of the time they're really tanky.
3: So, I guess to conclude... I will still give this a legend, but I think if I were to build this, I think I would build it a little differently, because I feel like the grindability would probably make it more consistent.
0: Yeah, those are some pretty solid points, and 28 models, I think, is is average more for model count, so I probably want to go over that average. So the next profile will be coming from Richard, and his favorite unnamed hero.
3: Okay, so... I am going with the Moria Cave Drake. Unfortunately, he didn't quite make my favorite monsters, or top three monsters, but I think this monster is extremely underrated in the games that I've used them in. So he's fight six, strength seven, defense seven, four attacks, six wounds, courage four, one might, three will, one fate. So again, a hero monster with might just takes its threat level to another level. And the most important thing on this profile is its move 8. So it can move 8 inches, which really takes away the big weaknesses of other monsters that we've alluded to, is the giant bases.
1: I mean, like, yeah, like, the movement 8 is really good, I agree, but he kind of makes up for it because his base is bigger than other kind of monsters that have that big base size, so...
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm saying it mitigates it, because if he was move 6 then he would be unplayable.
1: Okay, yeah, yeah. He'd be way worse. Yeah, I agree, I agree. Mitigating, uh, yeah. sure.
3: I would still say the giant base is a weakness, but it definitely is mitigated with the move eight. And sometimes I would find in smaller games, smaller points games, that large base size is not as big of an issue because you have more room to run around and you can actually use the giant base to block off certain areas, which will be part of my strategy a bit later later. But so Heroic Actions um, is Heroic Strength, War Gear, Claws and Teeth, so correct me if I'm wrong, but you can't shatter Claws and Teeth. Is it, would he be immune correct. to the shatter? spell? Correct. Okay, that's another bonus. <laughs> and then under the special rules, the Cave Drake has Monstrous Charge, which is huge, Mountain Dweller, Resistant to Magic, which is huge, Terror, and Woodland Creature. Additionally, it has Protect the Nest special rule, so basically at the start of the game, you can place down the egg, and throughout the game, if the drake is within three inches of the nest, the drake is fearless. I find that this special rule rarely goes off, so if it's a very small bonus, I wouldn't consider the cave drake fearless by any means. And then it has a brutal power attack where you can potentially eat a man-sized model, but again, that's not really used very much. But I will say, in a tournament, I have eaten Immerhill before, so it's not worthless.
1: I don't even remember you taking this to a tournament.
3: <laughs> it was my very first tournament at the 400 point.
0: Uh, uh yeah.
3: The one thing the gaping maw brutal power attack is really good against is
0: um, when the hero calls a heroic defense. It ignores the heroic defense, and
3: it's been done on me before. <laughs> Because it's, it's a 3 plus, so it doesn't matter, right? D6, you're not rolling to wound. Yes, that is true. And I guess it also makes a difference for very high defense models or models with weird bait roll saves kind of thing. So, what comes to mind is the roar, defense 9, and he has like the one fate, but on a 4 plus, he gets it back. So, you can push that right off the bat.
0: Yeah, especially if the cave drake didn't get a charge because then he wouldn't get his, what, his 10 dice to wound. Yeah. Then your four dice might be
3: worse than the one dice on a three up. Yeah. So I guess what I like about this profile is it's just very, very consistent in combats due to its four attacks, five attacks on the charge, and then in addition it has monstrous charge, so you're knocking everything to the ground. The fight six is okay, but I think what's also really good is... Even if you come up against like a tier one hero, it has six wounds and it doesn't have survival instinct. So even Aragorn is not chopping through him in a turn or two. So I think he has a lot of uses. And I mean, yeah, what do you guys think?
2: It's funny. The first thing I actually looked for when I pulled up the profile here was I looked for survival instinct. I'm like, that's got to be a weakness, right? And it's not. So I I guess I still do fear coming up against a big hero, like an Aragorn maybe, just because typically even if you lose the combat and you don't die, yeah, you're kind of stuck with that big hero until you either get out of there, you manage to maneuver out, or you lose the cave drake. But Monstrous Charge is huge. I think just the ability to go into cavalry models and still knock them down is fantastic. I had never really thought about the gaping maw special rule quite this way, but I think if you can manage to get the cave drake into, especially just you know mid tier heroes that only have one or two fate points, you can knock them off in a single turn. But then again, if you're getting sometimes if you're getting what ten dice to wound, I feel like it's a wash just because you know ten dice at strength seven is probably going to get rid of most things. But aside from that, you know, he's got good special rules, like he's got resistant to magic, which for monsters is massive, so he's not going to be as easily stuck in one spot because of a spellcaster the way most monsters are. For that reason, I I like him quite a bit by comparison to most other things in his range.
0: I kind of disagree that big heroes would be a weakness for the Cave Drake. He's got access to Barge, which can basically get him away from the hero if he wants, and also if the... If your opponent knows the Cave Drake stat line, he knows he has Gaping Maw, he knows that he has six wounds, like, what are the chances that they're going to want a big hero to go up against the Cave Drake and waste two or three turns fighting it? I think it's the perfect counter to a big hero, actually.
1: Yeah, I, I'm with you on that, Charles. Like, the thing is, a big hero fighting this, assuming they win every combat and they get the charge off, right? It's probably going to take them at least three turns to beat it, right? Assuming they have some kind of wound modifier. And if they lose, them. they're probably dead. Yeah, and, and, and then if they lose a combat, even if the thing isn't charging, it's probably going to do, like, two wounds to them, right? And if it is charging, like Charles said, it's quite reasonable that that hero's going to die. So it, it's huge, actually. I think it's it's a great way to, to deal with heroes, right? And then the other thing you can do is, if it's somebody who's a lower fight value kind of thing, but you then still kind of tanky, like, um, I don't know, like a Rohan here, somebody who's, like, kind of fight five, or like, like an AMR, perfect example. If he's out of might or whatever, but he charges you first. Barge, if you win the fight, and charge in again. That, you probably will still win the fight, but then you're getting your charge bonus. It's devastating. Cheeky, cheeky tactics, and absolutely devastating.
3: Yeah, from my experience, uh, you definitely don't want to be coming up against him with any big hero. Because I feel like if we did some sort of like one-on-one you know, tournament, I think he would actually surprise you and be able to beat a lot of these 3-attack, 3-wound, mounted good heroes. I I think the biggest weakness when it comes to the Cave Drake from playing him is the One Might. A lot of the times, you need to save that for the heroic combat just for a certain turn, which is really good because it allows you to move another 8 inches, so you have a really, really big threat range. But the issue with that is you can't depend on him for any heroic moves or a lot of times you are rolling five dice to win the fight, but if you do flop a roll and not get that six, very likely you just have to take it. So I guess going on to my list for today, it's a 700-point list, Moria list. I have Deburz as the leader, leading five Moria goblins with shield, four Moria goblins with spear, three prowlers, a Moria goblin shaman with three Moria goblins with shield, two with spear, a goblin captain with shield, leading three goblins with shield, three with spear, and two prowlers. And then I have one cave drake, or I should just say two cave drakes, and they're both leading two Moria goblins with shield, two with spear, and a bat swarm. So I do have two cave drakes and two bat swarms. To a total of... 40 models at 700 points. So I guess the idea with this is I don't really have any shooting aside from the throwing weapons on the Prowler, so I do want to close the distance with the Moria Goblin Captain and his marching. I think from experience playing with the Cave Drake, they munch through troops really, really quickly. You can do that thing on the first turn where you drift with his large base into the front line and then hero combat, you know, taking out four to eight models i mean it's really really conditional positioning but it is possible and the thing with like the weakness is with only 40 models and they're all goblins you want to really not break so even if it means you know playing a bit more defensive with your goblins castling in a little position after the drakes charge in i think you just mostly want to cover the flanks so the cave drakes don't get surrounded but you don't necessarily have to throw the Moria goblins into combat. And if there's any terrain or stuff like that where there's only a corridor which only fits the cave drake, that is perfect because the cave drake can block off that whole area, and then the goblins aren't really a target in combat and they can just hide behind the cave drake. But essentially this list is all about the cave drakes doing work, and then I have two bat swarms to make, you know, the the life of the big heroes even worse. They're coming up against two cave drakes already, but then there's bat swarms, so yeah, it's it's not going to be a good day for them. And I guess when the opponents have been whittled down by the drakes a little bit more, then my goblins will come out from the back and try to surround, and then that's when the prowlers will do some damage.
2: Yeah, as if two cave drakes weren't bad enough, having the bat swarms there, like if you get a really big hero who decides to strike, then you just put the bat swarm in there and make it essentially a null and void move. The only concern I'd have, and this is a very good concern to have, would be how do you manage to maneuver two cave drakes efficiently in one list? Because they're such big bases, that would be my one concern. But aside from that, if you can protect the goblins because they're the squishy part, and just make the cave drakes the offensive weapon and and keep everybody else generally protected. Yeah, what's worse than one cave drake, two cave drakes? It's just just mean. I don't like any of these lists. You guys, they're so... I don't like them in the fact that I love them, but I hate them. Does that make sense? I feel like that should make sense. Perfect sense, Alex.
3: (laughs) So, I have to
1: say, I am, like, continually impressed by the ability of Moria to be built in, like, so many different ways, and still have such effective lists. It's quite surprising. I guess just because they have so many toys in the list. But, yeah, it's nasty. I'm trying... (laughs) It looks like an 800-point list, and there's an 800-point list. If I have those lenses on, I'm like, oh, maybe this isn't great. But I I gotta keep reminding myself it's less than that. It's 700, and at 700, it is quite mean, I have to say. And then yeah man cuz like you were saying with the uh, the the prowlers even if big enemy heroes avoid the cave drakes and they just go after goblins having the prowlers in there with the bat swarms is ooh that's quite cheeky especially if you get it in on a hero who's out of might who can't strike cuz if they're fight 6 and they can't strike they're still in trouble right cuz the prowlers go up to fight 4 with a trap from the bat swarm and then they're out fighting even like a big fight 6 hero so
0: I don't think and he even needs the bat swarm because if the monster charge knocks them to the ground, if you're prone, you're trapped.
1: What I mean is, like, if the monsters are off fighting something else, and it's just oh, goblins and bat swarms.
3: Oh, yeah, right? that, that's just, pretty good, too. Yeah, yeah you have got enough yeah.
1: prowlers in there to, to sneak and, that. And to a burst
3: is fight four that can go up to fight five with heroic strike as well.
1: Yeah, and yeah, yeah. And, and he's, we, I think we've talked about him before, he, he's quite a reliable leader at this kind of level. I mean, oh, but you have the shaman in there too, so that's not even that big of a weakness as your courage. It's not that bad as long as you keep him protected, which should be easy enough to do till you're broken. You got the march. This is nasty, man. This is a very nasty list.
0: Have you ever used the egg for like blocking strategies? Because it's a 25 millimeter base. Have you ever used it for blocking?
3: I haven't had the chance, but I do see what you mean. Like, if you imagine if you put seize the prize and you yeah. put it in front of the prize on their side, it, it adds some additional blockage.
1: That's the worst. Because, wait, you can put down two eggs, right?
3: <laughs> no, no, yeah. just the one. One for each Drake. Oh, there's yes, two eggs. Oh, drake. you could... You can <laughs> pull it. Wow, you can. You would have quite the space to block. It's pretty off. slimy, yeah. And I guess in Contest of Champions, it would be a defense mechanism to block off DeBurs from fighting the
1: champions. (laughs) Yeah. You put DeBurs right in the front and then put two impassable. That's so stupid. You can't get rid of the eggs either. No, you
3: can't.
0: So each base is 25 mil, right? And then if you leave like a two millimeter gap in between, no model can move through it. So that's effectively 70 mil that they can't move through. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's
1: that's like over. Over a motor troll.
0: Yeah of
1: impassable <laughs> that's so rude
3: yeah that, that is actually something i had not considered but now that i'm thinking about it like destroy the supplies you can technically like you know put one of your supplies in a very defensive position like just having two eggs
1: yeah is
3: so good i'm guessing you could jump over them though
1: because it's still just an obstacle right like a terrain piece
3: can you yeah. though hmm. because are you considering them as a model? Because it's an enemy model. You can't jump over an enemy like Bilbo, no matter how small they are.
1: You can if they're prone. <laughs> Does it count as a prone model?
3: I <laughs> think it's FAQ for that here.
0: <laughs> yeah, and because the previous FAQ cleared that you can now stand on top of an objective, like let's say in domination and capture and control, right? So if you put this egg on the objective, since it's a model, that means that it kind of reduces the area where your opponent can touch the objective especially if you put the egg half on the marker and half off then like in order to touch the objective they have to come like all the way behind the objective to base to base
3: yeah yeah so it really becomes a question of are the eggs considered a model of the controlling player or is it more of an obstacle once placed
1: I love how we're supposed to be talking about the Cave Drake and we've done our classic thing where we just divert on one of its random special rules and go, this is amazing! <laughs>
0: yeah, shenanigan potential.
1: This is, it, there's so much shenanigans! Like, I even just think if you play on, like, a city board, you could just straight up just block off an entire alleyway with two eggs. And then, boom. <laughs> now there's just, like, a roadblock in the middle. Oh, my God!
2: <laughs> yeah. It's so stupid! <laughs> Do you know how many of these ideas we've had in in 25 episodes? The, we're just slowly breaking the game. It's 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 amazing. I actually thought of that because I thought it's it must count as a piece of like it becomes a terrain piece because you don't move the nest. The nest doesn't move once it's placed. It's immobile, so it must be counted as a terrain piece. That's all I can think of.
0: Well, it, it says 25 millimeter marker, so I assume it's on a base unlike the demolition charge for example where it's not on a base yes i but think that's the difference
2: if it's denoted as a marker can you walk over a marker
0: we'll have to wait for our future faq but for now it's up to the to i guess
1: Just of hope nobody listens to this podcast and then it won't become an
2: issue if, if, if J. claire <laughs> is listening to this you're gonna have to clarify the case Drake nest
0: oh my god so alex what, what would you give this list
2: I mean, while I would worry maybe about coming up against something with a large number of bows or a shooting army that would do damage to the goblin warriors before combat hits, because that's just about the only way you're really going to get around this list, I think, is to break it by trying to find a way to target the goblins quickly before the cave drakes really get in there. But then I look at the list as a whole. Numbers are good two cave drakes and two bat swarms and the bat swarms are they're not a very well kept secret but they're always buried in there somewhere you totally forget about them and they're a massive headache and you know you've got the march you got access to everything you need so i'm gonna give this another hero of legend i think i've just given legends for the last three episodes but like it's warranted so
1: okay so richard i have some questions for you and this is gonna affect my rating So in that practice game we had a while ago, it was 600 points, right? And yep. what was your model
3: count for that one? I had 30 models. 30? Yeah. So you got 10 Cause, cause more I, on this list. Because I had, I had the Watcher of the yeah. Water and the Cave Drake, and the Watcher yeah. is more
1: expensive. Watcher's 200, yeah. Okay. Hmm... <sighs> okay. And then there's no banner in this list, which isn't, like, the worst thing. It's not a big deal but it still kind of sucks for those objective snipers. Oh, man. I'm like, tentatively, I want to drop it down to a Valor because of the, the defense four and five goblins and because of like that, that previous experience that we had. I'll keep it as like a soft legend just because I'm not sure. It really depends on how well you can hide the goblins, like you were saying.
3: Yeah, Yeah. I think that's what I learned from that game, playing your Corsairs, is that I don't want to be fighting with my goblins because it made me break a little bit too soon. And because I did charge in a group of my goblins, and they were outfought and killed, but if I had done it correctly, I should have just done what I said I would do here, is try to block off the combats with the Cave Drake as much as possible.
0: I do wish that uh, you had a little higher in model count, most of them being goblins, The one thing I thought of was that maybe you could replace Devers with Groblog, and that would free up some points to get in four more goblins. But Groblog is not as great of a leader, though, with less will, fate, and courage. So I don't know if you want to do that. I don't know if it's worth getting four more bodies in there. Because there are ways you can mitigate your goblins from being killed. So the Cave Drake model, there's no restrictions on how it moves, right? So you can move it forward on its side. And that way it can block, like, I you put all your goblins behind the drake and just use it as, like, a shield. I can see it being a good arrow screen as well if you really wanted to. So you have ways to mitigate, to help your goblins survive. So on one hand, I wish there were more higher model count, but then you do have ways to, like, combat against that. The other thing I was thinking about was, would a Black Shield Shaman be better than a, a Moria Shaman? Because I was thinking of another threat against big heroes with the shatter. And then also, if your strategy, once lines clash, is to bottleneck models and kind of block models with the cave drakes, you could probably get a pretty good tremor off. It's like a strength six hit on models in a line. And I think that your opponent might not suspect that. And you could just deal massive damage to a battle line. But, you know, that's just an idea I had. but. I think I'm going to go Legend on this one as well, and I'm not surprised that we're getting so many Legends, because we're <laughs> we're building these lists around the profiles we chose, so I'm not surprised that all of these lists are really good. I have two quick
1: thoughts on what you
0: just said there, Charles. I
1: think the Normal Shaman is the Better Call just for the, the Courage buff, because when this list breaks, it's the goblins just run. So even if you have them sitting on objectives, which you're probably going to have to be doing, they're just going to run away. That's just what happens with Courage too. But the eggs, what if the
0: eggs are close?
1: <laughs> I mean, it, it, the eggs, it, it, It's they might actually make a difference in this kind of list, because you have the two eggs, and either drake is affected by either of the eggs, right? So, I mean, I think so, I'm assuming so.
0: So, yeah, so the classic Fury on Der and then Der gives us double standfast, that's the most, yeah. that's the far more reliable way. Yeah. But then when you break, the standfast doesn't affect the drakes, so if your drakes aren't close to the eggs, then... You're yeah, kind of in trouble, too. It, it, it
1: depends. The, the Drakes aren't terrible at passing curses because they have the three will. It becomes an issue if you're facing a spellcaster and they get their will down. Then they get, like, maybe a Drain Courage or something going on. Then they become a lot less reliable. But, I mean, you have two Drakes, so it's it's not the worst thing. The other comment I was going to say is I think if you're going to do the Groblog route and get the four extra goblins, I'd say drop a bat swarm and get an extra seven goblins from that. So then all of a sudden, yeah, you have Groblog and only one bathroom, one, but you, your number's are like 50-51. I think that'd be a, a good call if you're going to go that kind of route. That's all.
0: Okay, and the final profile of the day is the unnamed hero pick from Alexander.
2: So I had a few unnamed heroes that came to mind, but I was uh, fairly kindly reminded by my castmates here that my favorite is easily King's Champion from the khazad army list. According to me, if there is... Any unnamed hero, it is easier to fit into an army list. It has to be King's Champion. It is easier than switching to Geico. Is for his points. Like, How
1: much percent do I save with him?
2: A lot. Many percent. Number, number percentage. Um, no, is according to me if you're especially if you're playing a pure Kazadoom list is very much the quintessential necessary profile. You get three models in the profile, the King's Champion, of course, who has fight six, strength five, defense seven, three attacks, two wounds, courage five, two might, one will, one fate. He has heavy dwarf armor and two axes, heroic strike and strength, and he gets his two heralds. Of course, in an army list where you don't have spear supports, you need a banner, and the King's Champion gives you two. Included in the profile. And I love it because they're fight four, so they're like standard warrior profile, strength four, defense seven, because they have the shield, one attack, one wound, courage four, and two fate, dwarf armor, shield, axe, and banner. So the king's champion's special rules are that the heralds both come in his warband, so they take up the first two spots as independent heroes, and the herald's duty. When two heralds or the king's champion and a herald are in base contact, they receive a plus one bonus to their defense. If both heralds and the king's champion are in base contact with each other, they all receive a plus two bonus to their defense. So while the king's champion starts only defense seven, he can be as high as defense nine. Same with the heralds. So if the king's champion is wounded, either herald may expend their own fate points on the champion's behalf as long as they're in base contact. Note they cannot suffer wounds on the champion's behalf. They may only use their fate points. So effectively, at a very maximum, King's Champion may have 5 fate at any point in time and can be between defense 7, which is relatively strong, and defense 9, which is just very, very strong.
3: Defense 9 and 5 fate is very, very unrealistic. And if you're doing that, I would say you're playing it wrong.
2: No, I, 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 I don't I don't typically do that either. I'll get into my strategy with the King's I, Champion in a moment. I'm just saying it I, is possible to do that.
1: We're and going on a tangent can, right now.
2: Alex, finish your sentence, then we're tangenting. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah, because you can then slowly swap the Herald from their position and get access to more Fate points. But, no, I, I definitely wouldn't be putting them side-by-side side, typically Typically in this scenario, what I do is obviously you've got the King's Champion, who is very combat-oriented, efficient profile. He is the only um, dwarf hero in the list to have Strength 5. He's three attacks, and of course he's always going to have a banner nearby, so he has very good odds of winning his combats. And, of course, he can use the fate points of a Herald that's in contact. So I typically have him... Uh, within a list, keep him protected because you don't want him surrounded, but again, just very effective in combat. Have him touch one herald and then have the other herald run off approximately six inches away to give the banner effect to the rest of the battle line. So you have a majority of the battle line with a banner effect.
3: That was a very long
2: sentence. (laughs) A a lot of Oxford commas in there. Okay, so... Well, I agree with you, Alex. That is, like, the normal way you usually
1: play and the way you usually see King's Champion played. I'm going to have to disagree with you, Richard, and I think there's 100% a chance that you could see it with him with both banners behind him. Just because when he's set up like that, he basically becomes, like, a super tank. Like, he's D9 with five fate. So put him in like that against any big hero you want, besides from, like, Azog, who has, like, always wounds on threes... And maybe you don't even need to strike. You just put them in like that and go, yeah, if I win the fight, I'm going to do damage to you. If I lose the fight, you're probably not going to hurt me at all.
3: I'd be happy if my opponent did that. <laughs> yeah, the rest of your battle line is going to suffer because you don't have spears. Like, the reason why this profile is this good in this list is because you need it, or else it's not going to be competitive. Like well, you still covering it. my spokesperson on this
2: one. It. He's essentially saying everything that I'd be saying right now. i'm I'm not
1: saying you're gonna do it every time i'm just saying like there's a reasonable chance that you could do that like what if you i don't know if there's somebody like like a gil gallad or like or like a glorify somebody who somebody who's like fight seven who outfights you do a setup like this and just say yeah if i lose the fight whatever you're not gonna wound me but if i win the fight i'm still probably gonna do like a wound to you and do some chip damage and at 140 points doing that right
3: but if you have one banner behind you that's already three fate at defense eight, a Glorfindil is not going to kill you. And if he does, like good for him. like He probably rolled all sixes on eight dice.
1: Uh, Gil-Galad would be a, a better example. The,
3: the way I see it, the King's Champion's
0: about 40, 35 to 40 points under-costed, which I would think is the cost of one herald. So if you group them together for that D9, you're effectively giving up the advantage of taking a King's Champion.
1: But then just, you're, you're still getting 140 points of value out of it. I'm not saying you're going to do it in every game. I'm just saying, like, don't discount it. Like, definitely keep that in your back pocket if you're running the guy. I think it, it's definitely a viable strategy.
2: There is a scenario where that can happen. Like, I understand wanting the Defense 9. But given Kaz Doom, the list that it's in, the need for those dice rolls in the dual roll, the issue I have with clumping them is the fact that it's just inefficient. You end up with the overlapping banner effect lines, which don't stack. So I just think it ends up in most scenarios being a poor use of heralds because they are quite survivable with their own fate points. So if you send one off to one side to support other heroes and troops, they have their own two fate. Yeah, it's an over-efficient profile.
1: Last thing. Just on Richard's comment, there is a big difference between defense nine and five fate and defense eight and three fate against strength four things, right? That's all. I'm sorry. If you want to rebuttal that, go ahead.
3: I, I'm not I'm not arguing that there is no difference. Of course there's an extra defense and an extra fate is always gonna be something, but it's you're doing it instead of a banner and to compound that it's in a list like Kazadoom with no spear supports. That's where I'm coming from, and I mean it's a three-on-one, so I mean. (laughs) I'm gonna die on the hill as
1: that is a valuable tactic to have in your back pocket. I will die on that hill gladly. You,
3: your hill, you chose to die on was already the Gundabad Troll. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that one I, I I died and sent to hell long ago on that one.
0: (laughs) If one of your heralds was charged, would you put the other herald and the King's Champion in base contact with him so that the herald can have Defense nine?
1: Not the herald. I mean, if the herald can't do I mean, not the, the champion, if he, unless he can't do anything else, which, like, that's never going to happen. <laughs> but, you know, I don't know. Like, some maybe Fog of War. You put the other herald in base contact just so he's a little bit more survivable or something, you know. There's corner actually, cases, but, like, yeah, it's, it's not really
0: going to happen.
2: Log of War is a really decent scenario for this profile, too, just because you have to pick a hero to protect, yeah. and there's three of them.
3: Well, uh... I would I would All say right, the let's... banner scenarios are better for the, well, for the well, banner I, points. Yeah. 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 Yeah.
2: I wasn't even thinking super, of the banner ones, super hard feel, to kill. they are very difficult to kill. Do, do we want me to read out the list? Yeah, go ahead. I, <laughs> I feel like we should before before Ian gets voted off the island or something. My list. So, I have Dwarf King. He's my leader. I'll explain the reasoning for that in a little bit. I've got Dwarf King. He has uh, six Dwarf Warriors with shield, two Dwarf Rangers with longbow, two Kazid Guard, King's Champion, which of course comes with the two Heralds, six Dwarf Warriors with shield, two Dwarf Rangers with longbow, two Kazid Guard, Dwarf Captain with shield, one Dwarf Warrior, no extra war gear, six Dwarf Warriors with shield, two dwarf warriors with longbow, one casket guard, and then I have Haldir, heavy armor and elf bow, four Galadrium warriors with shield and spear, two guard of the Galadrium court, two Galadrium warrior with elf bow, one with elf bow and spear, and three Galadrium knights. 800 points, 48 models, 9 might. Dwarf king is the leader because I have two heroes with the strike, I have the king's champion, I have Haldir The Dwarf King does not have Strike, he does have March if I need it, and he is still relatively tanky defensively. Decent combat hero, kind of lacks a bit of mobility, but can always be well protected. King's Champion, for the reasons we already discussed, very good in combat. Two banners, which really helps when you don't have spear supports, which I do in this list, but still, of course, two banners, because... Banners are very, very important. Uh, dwarf Captain with a Shield, just for March access, specifically, because I would prefer to be able to use the Dwarf King's Might for other things where I need it. But I do, if need be, have two models with access to March, which is really important when you're playing a Dwarf list of any kind. I have played Dwarves allied with Elf supports. The issue being, if you're playing. Dwarf Frontline, no matter how fast the line behind it is, you can only move as fast as that Frontline Infantry. And Haldir, because he has... Of course, he is the Hero of Valor that allows me to create this alliance. He has decent armor, you know, his Defense 6. He has Heroic Strike, so he's my second Heroic Strike in the list. I gave him the Elf Bow because I had 5 points, and I was like, eh, well, you know, more bows, because this list, again... Still struggles a bit with the mobility, and I decided to really put the bows up to it with all of the rangers. And then again, a lot of elven spear supports with decent defense for the most part, guards of the Galadrum Court to plug up anything where I need higher fight value and just want to put a cheap option in there. So I really think I've shored up a lot of the issues with a general dwarf list for Kazadoom because I have the six dwarf rangers as well as Haldir if I need him to, and the two elf bows as well. So at eight bows, uh, nine if I want to use Haldir. Good, strong uh, fight five and fight six spear supports to sit behind the dwarf warriors, which they desperately need. Fearless from the Khazad guard to counter anything where I need objectives being held. Aside from that, you know, mobility from the March access and from the Galadrim Knights to run around and just kind of harass the edges of my opponent's battle line. Now, I generally like the well-roundedness of this list. That's what I was aiming for. I think I've plugged the holes that I need to. I think I lack maybe a a really, really big hitter, but the King's Champion at Strength 5 can do a fair bit of damage there.
0: Alex, I thought that after Nova you said you learned your lesson in allying elves and dwarves. I think He's ready to be heard again. <laughs> yeah, I think you forgot about that lesson.
2: No, that lesson was different. That lesson was, I think, just inefficiently put together was the way that list went. I think it was an issue with how I composition was a problem. I think this list is better. This list can make up for for it.
0: I'm looking at it and it seems like the strategy is pretty similar you know have the elven support behind the dwarves and uh, i mean it's slightly different you don't have Durin this time and you have more bows but it's the same kind of formation and that worries me i know that you kind of wanted to go for like a well-rounded composition and you do have a little bit of everything but again i'm not convinced and i'm not sure if you're convinced that elves in the back dwarves in the front really works So that's the main thing when I first look at this list. I don't know if the other guys agree about this alliance, but...
3: I'm a bit confused at the Lothlorien-Haldir ally. Honestly, I feel like your Nova idea probably could have been refined better, but Rivendell, to me, might have been the better choice because you have Círdan and Glorfindel, I believe. And in this list you bring on an ally that still is another foot hero and if you are going to go the route with lots of bows and forcing the enemy come to you having Curedan in the blinding light is i would say a lot better you only had kirdan i think it was pre nerf uh, that
2: was that was that was yeah. pre that was back when you could have Curedan as the only hero in there the only reason i didn't take rivendell is because I have a very difficult time building a list together with dwarves and Rivendell because you have to have Glorfindel typically as the first hero, and you essentially end up with two hundred and fifty points tied up in the two elf heroes.
1: Yeah, it's hard to get the march in there too. Well, you have to go the dwarf king unless you're going. Well,
2: to well, the dwarf. I, I probably would take the dwarf king because I I wouldn't make the mistake on the on the hero composition a second time. Yeah,
3: yeah, definitely Dwarf King, but I, I mean, I don't know if I would take a Dwarf Captain if you already have a Dwarf King. I get having a lot of dwarves, you want the double march, but if your strategy is already to force the enemy to come to you by winning the shoot war, I think having the one hero with march is probably good enough.
0: Going on the Dwarf Captain, there's almost no point in taking him, because for 10 more points... You get a fight six hero with one more will and one more courage. And then you also get three more warband slots. I just think those buffs for 10 points, I think Dwarf Captain is almost, there's almost no reason to take it now with a Hero Valor buff on the king.
1: Yeah, I think in this case, I would actually lean into the Lothlorian contingent a little more. And maybe swap the dwarf captain for a galadrium captain, mount it up and kit it out if you want to have the second march in there still. And then I do like the mounted contingent. You have the three knights that are good. I think I would leave, lean into the elven thing a little bit more. And honestly, I can't believe I'm going to suggest this. Maybe a sentinel, just to add another trick to the list. I mean, it doesn't synergize exactly with a lot of things, but, like, it would be helpful to have something else that you can use to mess with your opponent's movement just because you are relatively slow.
3: What about Galadriel instead of Haldir, and then you sack the dwarf captain?
0: Yeah, I like that better. Because Galadriel actually brings something. She brings Immobilize and Blinding Light.
1: I um, mean, the, the Blinding Light is, like, whatever, because he's got a good chunk of Defense 7, right? Like, what, yeah. half the list is yeah. D7? So yeah. it's not huge, Well, Well, the, the thing is, uh, so winning nice to the shoot weapons. war,
3: right? Because with the uh, dwarf and elf movement, like move five and move six respectively, it's always a hassle charging it. So I think what Alex wants, if he wants to do the staggered battle line, he really wants the enemy to come to him. Mm. So I'll just say that uh, I think Richard's suggestion
0: and Ian's suggestion would improve this list. And I definitely think that you can make tweaks in, in its current state, even if you didn't want to add in. More elves. The thing for me though is I don't like the staggered battle line strategy. I think it's a little bit awkward and giving up the Kazadoom army bonus is a lot because it's one of the best army bonuses in the game. So I uh, I don't think it's worth the trade off even though I see the advantage that the elves bring, like mounted models and shooting and stuff like that. So yeah, I think I'm gonna go hero fortitude. <laughs>
3: For, for all those listening, Ian's mouth just dropped. So I, I assume you're going to cool. give him a better.
0: <laughs> I don't think it's that bad. Oh my god, Charles. Fortitude is not a bad rating. Fortitude is a list that might not be able to take a tournament, but it can win some games.
2: Yeah, I mean... I think after Nova in 2019, I, I made it almost like a personal mission to find a Kazadoom list that was going to ally and work. I think one of the next paths I'm going to take with a list like this is I'm going to take it in a place where I think it's going to be, like, pure again. Pure khazad Dwarf King, Floy, King's Champion. Yeah.
1: I'll rephrase, Charles. I think it's better than a Fortitude, I'll say. And a big part of that is because it ticks a lot of the boxes that I like to have. And also 48 models when you have, like, elite troops. Like, dwarves are on the elite side. Elves are on the elite side of, like, normal troops, right? In 48, that's that's a lot. So, you don't have the big hero, a super big hero that can do a lot of killing, but it, it's not necessarily the worst thing because all four of your heroes can fight in combat and can do a little bit of damage in combat. And most of them are reasonably resilient, besides Haldir, but he still has strikes, so he's not the worst. Yeah, I, I'm on a Valor, I think. You definitely could swap them some things around. There, There is something here with this the Khazad-Dum and Lothorian Alliance. Hey, I'm not sure what way to go from here to like if you wanted to make it a legend but i I think it's definitely a valor for me yeah
3: i think alex you were saying that if you wanted to make some sort of dwarf elf alliance i think what i would go for personally would be a rivendell heavy and then you bring in a special warband with a dwarf king maybe with the ballista or a couple Iron Guard to get the two attacks, like a very small group of specialty troops. I know, I said Iron Guard.
1: <laughs> In episode one, Richard. <laughs> uh-uh.
2: So what you're saying is you think I should essentially try doing the inverted version of my Nova list, Rivendell yes. with a dwarf block.
3: Yes, I think that would be the more viable, because then you're not really thinking that you're giving up the Khazadun bonus, because they're only a small contingent, and you can really specialize what exactly you need that would shore up some of the weaknesses in Rivendell specifically, and you don't even have to bring a full Warband if you don't want to. But that would just be my suggestion. I think for this list, yeah, I, I, think, I, would, I think I'm in between the two guys, but... I think Charles makes a lot of good points. I'll give this a really strong fortitude.
2: Okay, tune in next week when I bring two vastly different uh, dwarf lists on my lifelong quest to bring tournament strength to... I feel like we
1: just hate dwarves
2: on this podcast. (laughs)
1: Like, every time we try to break them, it just doesn't work out.
0: Alex is looking to bring balance to his force.
1: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh,
2: Charles. (laughs) (laughs) That came out of nowhere. I think that's, you know, it's like we had a thing up here that was like, it's like the little sign at the beginning of The Simpsons that says days without an incident or days without an accident. Days without a Star Wars meme reference, and Charles just knocked it down from, like, six episodes back down to zero. He was like, here, I'll I'll hold this over here.
0: Pick up your slack, Alex, I guess. <laughs> so, there you have it. Those are the four unnamed profiles of this episode. So, just to summarize, we had Ian's pick, which is the Mortal Troll Chieftain, my pick, which is the Mahood King, Richard's pick, the Cave Drake, and Alexander's pick, the King's Champion. So now it is time for our voting. Which profile is the best? And looking at the lists that we brought today, how it shows the profile at its best, at its most efficient. What are you guys leaning towards? Uh, hmm. We're just going to stay consistent as last time. You can't vote for yourself. Bam. <laughs> I wanted to last time. Okay, initially I think
1: I'm leaning Cave Drake, but I want to hear what everybody else has to say. That's where I'm initially leaning. What what are what are your thoughts? What are, what are classic? Think? I
3: I really like the Mahood King. It fills a role very very well, especially for the evil side. There's not a lot of great mounted hitting hero options for evil. Not as much as um, when you compare it to the good side and just for the points cost that you can get him at is ridiculous and like we said he's now a hero of valor which means that you know you can ally him in convenient allies as well so I I think he just brings a lot to the table
2: I've noticed that on this podcast we seem to really really enjoy our points efficient heroes and yeah Richard makes a lot of good points I think I'm going to go with him on this one just the things that the Mahud King can do and bring to the table for the cost. The fact you can have two in like a 600 point list is pretty mean. You can't do that with a lot of heroes.
3: And, and I guess we're evaluating it like kind of with respect to the list too, because I think Charles bringing the double Mahud Kings really, really highlights like what it can do, because that's very scary if that goes off. I think how Ian has brought the uh, Mordor Ch- Troll Chief in is also really well done. Just because I think that's probably the only way to play him is with the Legendary Legion as of right now.
1: I was debating the Dolphin <laughs> for a little while. Well,
3: well th- if you play him in the Legion, the second one is not super... It uh, doesn't get the extra stats, so I don't know if that would still be good. But yeah, I guess you could also go with like a cheesy like all trolls or all monster, all hero list where you can throw the chieftain in. But I don't think he's as good.
0: Before the episode, I thought that I was gonna go for the mortal troll chieftain because in its small point range, it's just so good. And coincidentally, at small points, there's also less threats, so it kind of makes him even harder to stop. But then when we went through the episode, I'm just thinking, you know, the Cave Drake really is underrated. And so it's been a big, like, debate between the two going back and forth between the Mortal Chieftain and the Cave Drake. Yeah, I'm having difficulty choosing it. I think the fact that the Mortal Chieftain, it's only really playable competitively in the Legion, it kind of restricts it a little bit for me. So I think the Cave Drake slightly edges out against the mortar Troll Chieftain.
3: Ah, so this way we won't end with a tie. You could have strategically voted Ian's mortar Troll Chieftain, so then you would come away with the win with your Mahood King.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, right, so then if I vote Drake, which is what I said before, then we're at a 2-2 tie, right?
0: Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, th- I thought you were waiting for oh, us yeah, to I pick to finish,
1: first. But that, that's where I, I was landing tentatively. Man.
0: Do
2: it, Ian. Do
0: it it i
1: think i'm still leaning to the drake just because it's so underappreciated right now so on the fact like on everything else that we've said you just add to the fact that if you go into a game people aren't really going to expect it to do much and then if you have two of them i think you could really do like surprise people like in, in respect to the list too um, are we
0: assuming the egg
1: shenanigans work <laughs> um even without the egg shenanigans that that's like that's cherries right that's not one cherry, that's two cherries. It's multi, multi, mini cherries on top, but like, it's still a nice, solid dessert. I love cherries. <laughs> yes, Richard, we all love you love cherries. <laughs>
2: Did Ian just bring peace and prosperity to his new galactic empire? <laughs>
1: <laughs> there it is, Alex, thank you. Gotta keep them rolling now. But, yeah, okay, so in terms of, like, efficiency and stuff, the amount of, like, damage output and tankiness you get with the Drake for 150 points, I think is it's, it's up there, and it, it's, it's comparable to, like, the kind of Mahud King kind of thing, right? Like, people aren't going to expect it to hit do that much. They're going to see a big bunch and go, oh, scary, but then when it actually gets a charge off and just starts devastating things, they're going to go, oh, damn. I think I'm going to stick with the Drake. The Mahud King is close, just because, yeah, you can get, like, two of them. Charles loves running two of them together, yeah, two of them, you just, yeah, it's crazy. And then they get the King's Champion, is still really good, really, really, really good value. Yeah, I'm going to go with the Drake. Sorry, boys.
0: No winner today. I guess we have a tie between the Cave Drake and the Mahood King.
1: Here, what, what what if we do uh, a little Battle Royale with uh, a Cave Drake and a Swarm against two Mahood Kings? <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's about the same in points. Yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens. <laughs> yeah. Well, is it most likely going to be uh, two one-on-ones, just because of how the combats work? Uh, yeah, I guess it would end up as one. Uh, yeah.
1: It'd be, be close. Cheekiness. Yeah. yeah.
0: I think the Drakes might win. Ah, no, the Mahud are winning it on fours, though, if they charge. Oh, winning the Drake on... Yeah. And if they take out the Bass Swarm early, then um, they'll just... They have four might for Heroic Strikes. Yeah. Tricky, tricky okay well that has been our episode on our favorite unnamed heroes thank you everyone for listening and look forward to the next episode of into the west podcast